And I just literally thought and prayed about it. And I can still tell you the day that this feeling washed over me that it was okay to get a divorce. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My next guest has been writing since she was 12 and finally published her first book in 2014. She opened a dance studio and began teaching when she was 17, and that developed into a 44-year career teaching dance. She was married for 25 years and then divorced. She has six children and 17 grandchildren, 19 depending upon how you count them. Her passion for writing has been there for as long as she can remember, and she has been able to express herself in happy times, sad times, and hard times through writing. She has written a book series called The Mystic Trilogy, and they are three books that take people into another world, if only for a little while, because it's just good to have fun and imagine. I am pleased to present Debbie Isla Rasmussen. Debbie, are you ready to share your story of hope? I'm ready. Thank you. Awesome. So the cool thing about Debbie and I is we've known each other for a couple of years now, and she is just so much fun. Debbie does not act her age. (laughs) I feel like she's like five years older than me, but she's probably old enough to be my mom. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Anyway, so um, Debbie, one of the cool things that I love about you is that you have these ideas of what you want to do in your life and you just do them. And I think that's super fun. So one of the things you wanted to do was go skydiving and it took you a while to get there, but tell me that story really quick. Okay. So, um, when I was 18, I was out by the airport. We just dropped my dad off somewhere at the airport and my mom, I saw some skydivers and I told my mom, I I always want to do that. And she goes, Oh, Debbie, one splat and you're dead. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, so I kind of put that out of my mind. Years later, after my divorce, I used to go out to the Elsinore um, drop zone in California mm-hmm. and watch them jump. And then I I um, really wanted to do it. I worked the drop zone to earn the money to do it. But I um, literally rode the plane up 13 times before I dived because I was so, before I jumped, because I was so afraid. I mean, I just couldn't imagine. So, But I realized the guy's name was Carl that took me up with him and I'd watch him jump out of the back. And then um, it hurt so bad to go down that I figured it was best to jump out because it killed my ears. Oh. Because going down was such, because <laughs> he went down so fast, pick up the next group. So I did, I was 40, let's see, I divorced when I was 43, so it was three years later. Wow. And I finally jumped and I did it several times, but I couldn't afford to keep up that kind of a habit. It was an every weekend thing, but it was really fun. And the cool part is now you have to tandem and then we did accelerated free fall where I jumped by myself. I had guides that oh. held my handles so I was out of the plane. Uh-huh. And once I was stable, they let go and you pull your own ripcord. And I, it's the only way I wanted to do it. So it was really Wow. Fun. And you, so you did it. Yay. I did. It was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me I'm not too old to skydive is what you're telling you're me. You're definitely not too old to skydive. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's on my bucket list or not. <laughs> What's funny is I have a lot of um, people wonder why I can't bungee jump, but I could skydive. And bungee jumping, you see the ground rushing up to you. 
skydiving, you're just, it's not like falling at all. You're just out in midair. It's wonderful. It's more That's like fun. Yeah. Like flying. There you go. So for all of you who want to put that on your bucket list, go for it. You can find a way to do it. You can even work it off like Debbie did. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking today about being courageous and facing hard things just like skydiving. Debbie went through a really challenging period in her life where she had to go through a divorce. And that was a hard thing to do. And to finally get the courage up to say, I'm done. So why don't you tell me a little bit of the backstory there of your marriage and what finally led you to that choice of divorce? Okay. So um, I met Bob shortly after high school, and uh, I was I was 19 when we got married, and we had, right shortly after our marriage, about six weeks later, we had an, and I found a different side of him that I didn't know, and I was really surprised by it, and I kind of told my dad, I, I wanted to talk to my dad, I wanted to get an annulment, and um, I couldn't get a hold of my dad, he was traveling, and I couldn't find him, and you know, things happen and things calm down. And, and basically what happened is he just got mad at me and he picked me up and dropped me. Mm. And I was like, whoa, I just, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't hurtful or anything like that. It hurt my feelings more than anything. But um, I couldn't get hold of my dad. And so I just decided, okay, we can do this. And I went um, to Thanksgiving dinner. We got married in August. And this was, the, this happened around mid-October that that happened. And then I went to um, Thanksgiving dinner and I was sitting by my dad at that point, and the turkey made me sick. And he said, you're, you're going to have a baby. And I'm like, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. And I was. And so when I realized I was expecting a baby, I decided, okay, I can do this. I mean, I, I can do this. And for the first 10 years, I mean, Bob was, he had his little issues and his control issues, but he was a great dad, and everything went great. And then um, when I was pregnant with my sixth baby, he had his first relationship outside of ours. Mm. And it was pretty, um, I mean, I had just been pregnant for three years and lost two kids, lost two babies. So I just felt, you know, didn't feel very pretty anyway. That made it even worse. So um, I realized something a short time ago that I had forgotten about because I made up my mind that I, I, I wasn't sure what to do. But I had 10, I mean, six kids under the age of 10 mm. with Jeff, with my new baby. And so I wasn't sure how to handle it or what to do. Um, but my dad came out to visit mm -hmm. on Christmas and, um, that was the Christmas, uh, my baby was only six months old and I, I knew something's going on and my dad asked me what was wrong and he took me in the living room and I said, I think, I think Bob might be having an affair. And he said, I just expected him to say something and what came out of his mouth just floored me. And he said, well, Debbie, just look as pretty as you can every day when he comes home from work. Oh. And I was so shocked. I I still can't. I, I was so shocked because I had been my dad's. I was just his girl. I mean, my whole life. And I knew that. And all my life, I had things that kind of gone my way. And I tell this story that I always thought I was a princess because I did all the time I was growing up. And I remember distinctively standing in my bedroom when I was trying to figure out what to do after my dad had left. And it was a couple weeks later. And I thought, well, doesn't he know I'm a princess? I mean, duh. Because mm -hmm. I just couldn't believe that this was happening. But anyway, so um, that we got through that. And I committed, my, I made my mind up just to stay in my marriage and everything would be fine. I didn't know what to do. 
I wasn't working. I taught dance, but it was just part-time then. So for 10 years, um, we started our own company. We did pretty well. And it seemed like everything was great. Now looking back, it's interesting how money can hide underlying problems. Mm. But um, I stayed with him another 13 years. Jeff was 13 when I finally divorced him. And it was a really hard decision. We He actually left us for about a year. He dropped home once in a while and went to California. And I moved my kids down to California to try and get our marriage back together. And three years later, I was just done. He had two more affairs outside of our marriage. And it was just really... At some point, you just wake up and say, I, I don't need to deal with this anymore. But what was interesting about it was part of my really hard is I didn't tell anybody. I didn't talk to my mom. I didn't talk to my family, definitely not my kids. I had one friend I could find it a little bit, but still I kept a lot back. So when I finally did divorce him, my kids were, they knew there were problems. There were no question about that. Because he was, he had gotten a little bit abusive over the years too, not with me, but with my kids, which made it harder. Anyway, you wonder why you stay and why you do the things you do, and you look back, and I'm not sure. But one mm. thing I did learn after I was divorced that um, I went to counseling for a little while, and he explained to me that I had grown up in a home where we didn't talk about alcohol, we didn't talk about our parents fighting, and. It's kind of that generation. So Mm -hmm. I just, he said, you grew up in a home where you did not talk about problems. So, and I remember my ex saying many times, what happens is in this house stays in this house. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know, I'm a pretty strong person. So I look back to that. I'm not sure why, but I just think that what snapped to me that day was my dad because I idolized my dad. My mom was completely different. She would have been like, well, but my dad is the one I asked, and he, he told me that, and I was like, all right. Mm. So it was, yeah, Jeff was 13 when I finally divorced him. Wow. So it, it's it's a process to finally make that decision because then you'd be on your own. Mm-hmm. So very courageous step forward then. So tell me, what did you do once once you were divorced? How did How did you provide for your family? Well, that was a challenge, too, because I started teaching when I was 17, but I'd always taught part-time. Like I said, we made really good money in Farmington. Um, When we moved to California, we were struggling. But um, I taught dance, and I realized that I have to do this full-time. And that was a whole new world for me because we had opened a studio in a home that we lived in. We had a big barn. We turned into a studio. We couldn't stay there because of the city, so we moved it down and rented a place. And I was still married at the time. And when I finally decided what I needed to do, I just realized that I would be working nonstop. And I was. I, it was hard, too, because um, my older kids all worked somewhere. Like the boys worked with their dad. Or some, my daughter was married. My eldest son had another job. My daughters, my two daughters worked with me at the studio. But my youngest son, he was the one that was suffering because um, his older brother was five years old and worked for his dad, too. But Jeff was too young to really work. So I would leave dance in the afternoon, pick him up from school, go home, feed him dinner, watch movie with him, and take him over to his dad's because he got off work at like 6, and his older brother was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day Jeff just asked if he could move in with his dad. It absolutely broke my heart. I went for a, I remember going for a long walk thinking, what do I do? Looking back, I should have fought for that. But I didn't because I, was, I understood. I mean, he was home. He was alone. 
And so if he wasn't at his dad's, he would be alone in my place. So, But I didn't get home till almost 10 because the studio closed at 9. Mm. So that was there. When you look back of regrets and things you wish you'd have done different, I would have fought for both of my boys to stay with me because my 17-year-old decided to live with his dad for lots of reasons. But he just felt like he'd have more freedom to live with his dad than me. Mm. And he was right. And then my youngest son, um, he tried to come home twice. He tried to come back with me twice. But I asked him what he said that his dad said to him, you're going to hold on to your mother's apron strings forever. Mm-hmm. He was only 13. So looking back, I there's a lot of, you do, when you're going through that, it's such an emotional, first of all, I didn't want my family to be broken up, mm-hmm. number one, but you just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You really don't. I mean, it's just such a hard thing and I had to provide and I did okay. I really did. I was able to provide for us. We had to move to a little bitty, teeny tiny house, which is another thing. But um, I just taught dance. Again, that was a, and actually teaching dance was a saving grace for me because when I was at the studio, I was in control. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that was my control world. And so mm-hmm. when I walked in that door, I could put everything else behind me for that period of time. There were other challenges there, but nevertheless, that was who I was really besides mom. And so as soon as I left there, my world was out of control again. So I think that's one of the reasons why I, I don't know, I just know that it, it was a saving grace for me during that time. Mm. It really was. Wow, that's that's amazing and hard. So how did you, how were you able to finally get up the courage to do what you felt was the right choice? Like, what did that decision process look like for you? Oh, that's a really good question. So I wasn't sure, like I said, what to do. I prayed about it, intently about it. And every time in my in our religion, every time I would go talk to anybody, clergy of any kind, I was told, you know, you need to make this work. So every time I'd go home and try to make it work. Well, one time I had a, um, a clergy person in California, and he said to me, Debbie, you're going to have to forgive Bob someday, but you don't have to live with him. And that was the first time that I had had anybody tell me that I had a choice. And why, you know, why you don't feel like you have a choice, I don't know. Mm. My kids have actually asked me that question. My oldest son confronted me about it one time, and I said, I, I didn't tell anybody. I just tried to figure it out on my own, which is a fault of mine, apparently, in a lot of ways. But anyway, so I, but what I did, um, I went to the temple every day for five days straight. And I just literally thought and prayed about it. And I can still tell you the day that this feeling washed over me that it was okay to get a divorce. Mm. And so I did, but well, I came home, I told Bob I wanted to go. I actually had a garage sale so I could get some money to come to Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And um, I split with my kids because they helped me and I just told them I needed some time. So I drove up here. I went to every single place that we had been together. I went to all the places we'd lived, um, just trying to figure out there was some straw to grass to keep us together, and I couldn't. And so I drove home, and I think I cried the whole 750 miles mm-hmm. because I just knew what I was going to have to do. But it was weird when I got there. It was on a Sunday, and all my kids were there, including my oldest daughter who had a baby. And um, I just asked Bob to go out back with me, and I told him, and I said, we have so many things to go through, but I want a divorce. And you should have seen his face. It was like he was shocked. And I was like, well, what did you think I was going to do? 
He said, well, if you're going to divorce me, and I said, well, you'd live like this forever. I mean, you, you're fine doing what we're doing. I, I'm not. But it was tough because I just, I felt this freedom, but at the same time, I was terrified, absolutely mm-hmm. terrified. I tried not for my kids not to see that. I don't know if they did or not, but I was really afraid of what was going to happen, and I had to work really hard. And I, I struggled sometimes, too. It wasn't always easy, for sure, for absolutely a lot of time it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah. No, those those hard choices are never easy. So perhaps the thing that gave you the courage was that peace that you finally felt praying that God would be there with you yep. walking along that road that you were terrified to walk on. And and God is good at that, isn't he? Yep, he really is. He really is. Well, and the thing is, too, Tamara, is I had watched my mom. She was married for 31 years to my dad. And I knew as I got older, I knew things were going on in their marriage. But um, I, I, I guess, well, just to back up a little bit, when I got married, I decided if I did everything I'm supposed to do, you know, if I do take my kids to church, if we have all these, if we're close together as a family, if we have family meeting, all this stuff, that I would have a different life than I grew up in. Now, backing up on that, I didn't have a bad life at all. Mm-hmm. It's just that. We never read the scriptures together or anything like that. We didn't do that kind of stuff when I was in my family as kids. My parents were very supportive of us and that kind of thing, very supportive. But I was looking for something a little bit different. And so I was really a little bit taken back when it didn't turn out. And I realized down the road many years later that there has to be two people working on that goal, that you can't do it by yourself. And there's a lot of things in his life that probably made him the way he was. He was more insecure than I thought he was. A lot of things, but um, yeah. Yeah, it does. It takes, I remember when my husband and I first got married that my husband asked my dad, you know, what's your secret to a long and happy happy marriage? And um, he thought my dad would answer, you know, put your spouse first or something like that. And (laughs) my my dad actually answered him. He said, each of you need to choose to put God first and then your spouse second. He said, and everything will work out. And that was a very interesting piece of advice that we've really tried to implement in our marriage. But like you said, each person has that choice. Each person has that agency and you can't control what the other person chooses, Mm -mm. you know? So it's, it's tricky. It's tricky because it is, it does take two. (laughs) It does. And the thing is, is no matter how hard you try, because I tried everything I could think of. I followed my dad's advice for a lot of years, but um, I tried everything. And no matter what I did, it seemed to make it worse. And it wasn't until that realization that I'm somebody too, and that I don't have to live like this. And I, but it's tough because you've got kids and, you know, they don't want to see their your parents' ma- marriage break up. In fact, my oldest daughter said, I just didn't want our family to be a statistic. Mm. And that's true. You don't want to. And then my younger, my younger kids, they were really struggling. My youngest daughter understood better, but my youngest son really struggled for years and still probably does. So mm. you just look back and wonder, what could I have done different? But you do the best you can. Yeah. Now, you mentioned about forgiveness in there, about how that clergy member told you, you know, 
you will have to forgive him, but you don't have to live with him. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about forgiveness, because I'm sure after um, a couple of affairs, it must have been challenging to embrace forgiveness. It was. Uh, it was funny because the first time um, I told him, I confronted him about it, we kind of found out what was going on, and I said to him, okay, we can get through this. And I really felt strong that we could. And we did. I mean, it seemed like we did. I don't think we ever fully addressed it because he was sick and a lot of things happened. But um, years later, when the second two happened, it was a whole different story. I was like, it was just like living, reliving the first one all over again. I couldn't believe, honestly. I could not believe after 10 years that he would do this to me again. And then again. So um, for the 10 years after I was divorced, I, a part of me just hated him. And, and part of what was that, yes, the hurt of me, but it was messing up our family mm. is more what I was angry about more than anything because I just thought we had a good life and we have six beautiful children and what? why aren't we good enough? That's what I felt. And um, 10 years later, well, I guess it was actually eight years later, my oldest son, there was a... Um, a group that they went to that he went with his mother-in-law and his, and his wife, and it was a healing weekend. Mm. And he invited me to go, and I said, I want to go. So the next year, he invited me again and said, I want to go. And the next year, he goes, Mom, I paid $100 twice now, and you're going this time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fine. And he said, I rented your hotel room in San Diego, and so I went. So it was a three-day thing. It started on Friday, it was Saturday, and Sunday, and then Sunday night, and for two days, you know, you listen to how you need to get rid of this baggage and, you know, how you need to move on. And I listened. It all made a lot of sense. And there were people, I remember one girl called her mom in Hawaii that had seen them for 10 years. They were getting back together. And another one reconciled with her sister and all this stuff. And I thought, I kept thinking, who should I call? And I thought, oh, my sister and I have never been really best friends. Maybe we should call and talk to her. Because we had a couple of things in and out. I knew that wasn't right. I knew she loved me. So went out on Sunday. I hadn't called anybody. Here it is Sunday. I'm like the last person that hasn't made any fun of a phone call. There's 100 people in the room. <laughs> so I went out and sat outside, and I called my son, and I said, can I get your dad's cell phone number? And he gave it to me. So I called, and I um, I knew he was with his new wife. I think they were married then. And I said, um, I just want to tell you something. Um, I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry for all the, any kind of contribution that I had towards our marriage ending. Whatever I did that, that whatever that I contributed to, I apologize for. And I really meant it. Mm -hmm. And I said, in any kind of distance you felt for the kids the last 10 years from the kids, I apologize about that too, because it's probably to do with me if you felt that distance. And I'm, I'm sorry, because I just, I want you to be happy. He didn't say anything. I was dead silent. And then... He goes, well, can I say something? And I said, yeah. So literally, Tamara, I think I took responsibility for world hunger, everything that happened. I was, I, he, <laughs> it was like I had done everything wrong. And I listened for 45 minutes. And finally I said, hey, you know what? I have to go back to the class. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he said, um, okay, will you do me one favor? And I said, yes. And he said, will you please set straight all the lies that the kids think about me? And I had to sit there for a minute, and I thought, and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If I hear anything that's a lie, I will straighten it out. And I hung up. 
went back in that class, and of course, they call on me, how did it go? Mm. And I said, this is the stupidest weekend I've ever spent in my life. I hate this. I This is the lamest thing I've ever done. I said, I got nowhere, and I've done everything you suggested. I mean, I re- went off. And I was so upset, and she kept saying, but how do you feel? And I said, I hate you. I hate this. I hate this whole place. <laughs> and she kept, she was real calm. She goes, but are you okay? And I'm, no, I'm not okay. So anyway, I stood up. I said, I'm leaving. I am so mad. I'm leaving. And I took my grabbed my backpack and stomped through the road and out the door. And I pushed open these two double doors, and there stood my son and his wife. And I just, he just held out his arms. And I cried. The reason he came is because when I called to get the phone number, he knew I would need him. And they took me to dinner, and I said, told him what he said. He goes, Mom, what did you expect? It's Dad. <laughs> I was like, oh, good point. He doesn't take responsibility for anything. So that was it. That was it. I went back, and I did not go back to the class that night. I went home. But that was a huge turning point. It was just literally what he said. What did you expect? Because that's probably my problem a lot is expecting more than what I can get. So honestly, Tamara, I can tell you from that day, I've not been angry. I mean, I, I realized I started to feel sorry for him and sad that he gave up such his family. For what? I mean, it doesn't make sense. So um, there are, I mean, there are times I go back to it. It's funny because you can put it all behind you, but then it comes up in your face. Mm. So it's still there, but I haven't been angry for 10 years. I mean, since 10 years, when I've been divorced, almost 26 now, I haven't been angry. I'm hurt still. I can't pretend that I, it's never, it still hurts, but just go on. But I'm not angry. And that was huge for me because either you, it doesn't take any, takes too much energy to be angry. I don't remember who said this to me, but he said, I don't remember if it was a money clergyman or whoever, he said, um, being angry with somebody is like letting them rent space in your head for free. Ooh. And I just, I, I thought about that so many times because he didn't care. And he's off living his life. So I needed to not be angry because it was destroying me more than anything. So, and I'm, I haven't. I've been able to be pleasant with him. But it's really, I think you want... Just want him to say he's sorry. Mm-hmm. He never did. Wow. So. so probably the hardest thing then was realizing having that mental shift of, all right, I've done my part, and kind of giving it to God and saying, I'm done with that. Yep. Uh, and and it's amazing that He was able to take that anger from you and help you to move forward. Probably with it lifted a little bit. Oh, totally. And interestingly enough, about, I guess it was two years ago, I was talking to my, that same man, my same oldest son, and he said, um, we were talking about what had happened, and he said, I bet you were really upset with God, Mom. I said, no, I wasn't. I was never angry at God, not one time, because one thing I learned over my life, of course, but one thing, I, I taught seminary at my church for four years, and I remember an um, object lesson of when you pick up a stick, the other end comes with it. So I made choices. I, I, I take full responsibility for the choices I made in marrying him. I only knew him three months. I tried to get him to go to counseling. When all this started, I didn't want to go. I didn't go myself. I mean, so there's a lot of choices you make over the years, and 
but I never did blame God. I never felt like it was his fault at all. It was just choices that I had made, and you live with your choices. Mm. And discussion, there's no way to change that. I mean, I don't mean that. There's ways to change it, but you make choices, and you have to accept the consequences that come with them. And and I um, honestly, I'll tell you something. I spent more time praying about breaking up with a guy I was engaged to than I did to decide to get married to Bob. Mm. So you, I look back and think, I don't know what that was all about, but you mm. know. So perhaps wishing you could go back and tell your younger self, pray about this yeah. decision of marriage because it's a pretty important one. <laughs> yeah. When you when you think about it is, um, and this I'd never thought about as a as a youth. I don't know why, but it never crossed my mind that when you get married, you are literally marrying the other half of your kids. That person is going to be the other half of your children. And that's huge. And I have, we are so blessed. We have six amazing children, all of them. They're great citizens. They're amazing parents, every single one of them. And they've had major challenges in their life too. And I'll tell you one thing that's probably one of the greatest things that's come out of this to me is my two oldest boys were abused by their dad and um, my oldest daughter. But my three boys are the most loving, kind parents. And all of them are. My daughter, too. All of them. But the boys, usually that abuse will turn around. I guess it can go one way or the other, from mm-hmm. what I've read. And they're amazing. They they don't lay a hand on their kids. And they never have. And to me, that's huge, mm-hmm. considering what they went through. So, And why didn't I do anything about that? That's the one thing that haunts me. If I lose sleep, it's... So he never, you know, put him in the hospital or anything like that. In fact, he was pretty clever not to leave any marks on him, but and emotionally abusive to all of us. So I don't know. Oh, bless you, my dear. That, bless you for having the courage to walk away with God's help. My goodness. I could never done alone. I had a friend tell me one time, oh, you just needed God because he doesn't believe in God. I worked with him as a really good friend, too, and he said, you just needed that to get, that's a crutch to get through. And I thought, I don't know why he feels that way, but I can tell you that I could never have done anything without prayer, knowing God was with me, because you people just can't help you. They just can't. I mean, they can give you advice and encourage, but at the end of the day, you go home to your life. So no matter what they say, or no matter how they try to help you, they go to their life and you go home and you still have to deal with your own life. Mm. So it's really only God. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, would you mind giving us some do's and don'ts <laughs> yeah. on uh, marriage and divorce? And and then we'll talk a little bit about Debbie's book series, the Mystic series. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal for Me by Tamara K. Anderson, is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write. 
and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm talking to Debbie Isla Rasmussen, and we've been talking about the courageous decision to get divorced and out of an abusive situation. And Debbie, we we were going to talk about the do's and don'ts that you wanted to recommend for people that you've kind of learned some of them in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, you do learn them in hindsight. You learn them over the time, but you don't think about them till later. So a couple things. Um, first of all, one of my big things, if I had a soapbox, don't stay in a marriage where there's abuse um, and it's just miserable. Don't stay in it. If you've done everything you can to figure it out, it's not worth it. I, I, I really believe I stayed um, 13 years too long. Hmm. So I think that's one of the most important things. Get help if you can. That's something that I didn't do, but I think it would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, another important thing, I don't think you should discuss, and this can be here or there, but I don't think you should discuss your problems with your children. I don't think that they need to be burdened with that. They're children, and they don't, and they they have a hard time because they love both parents, mm -hmm. and so they want to. They don't want to think either parents being bad. I I'll tell you a really quick thing. When I was a kid, and my dad was gone all the time, we were coming home from the mall one night on Christmas Eve with my mom. And I was looking out the window, and I was really sad. And she asked me what was the matter. I go, just wonder where Dad is. I feel so sad he's all alone. <laughs> My mom goes, oh, Debbie, he's not by himself. Don't worry about that. And I was like, what? Because she knew, but we as children, I just thought I was working. Mm. So my mom was really – anyway, I think that's really important. She had never told us anything. Don't speak badly of the other parent. My mom never did that. And as much as my dad was gone, she never spoke negatively about him until years later. When And the same with me. Um, try really hard to, if you can, don't fight over the holidays. One thing that we worked out really well when we first divorced, we hit, used to go to breakfast as a family on Christmas Eve. That's what we did when the kids were little and for years. So we worked it out. They would go to their dads on Christmas Eve morning. We did that on Christmas Eve morning. They would go to their dads, and then they came to my house Christmas Eve night. And um, when they were all out of the house. And it worked really well because they were able to know they could see both parents. And and then we shared holidays after that. And eventually, he didn't really invite them over the holidays anymore. And then it just changes over years. But anyway, I think that's really important so they don't feel pulled. They don't try have to choose. I think that's probably the hardest thing with kids through divorce is choosing. I mean, I was a product of a divorced parent too, but I was married. But I still had to choose at times, and it's very, very hard for kids to have to do that. And we weren't perfect at it, but it's one of the things I would say. Mm -hmm. Another thing is to support your kids no matter what and whatever activities they're doing. I I had to go to soccer games sometimes with my grandkids, and, and his other wife would be there. And Sometimes it was hard. I'm like, I don't, why is she holding my grandchild? You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. You have to get past that because those kids had nothing to do with this, nothing at all. And my grandchildren do not know Bob and I ever married because I was, I divorced him um, when my oldest daughter was pregnant, I believe. Mm. No, no, no. 
He was a baby, yeah, because he was a baby. He was a baby. So he was like one or something like that by the time we are divorced. But he doesn't know us together. Right. Not, they haven't at all. So why bring them into that stuff? It's silly. Hmm. Um, now, one of the things, I used to listen to Dr. Laura, and I didn't do this very well. I wasn't perfect at it. But looking back, she said something that, one of the things she said that to me was profound. She said, if you're going to get divorced, decide, make up your mind that you're going to be single until your kids are raised. Well, I never got remarried, but I did date for about four years. And when I look back on that, I don't recommend that at all. I know there's lots of people that end up in good, happy marriages. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you have to nurture that new relationship. And so you're taking time away from your kids that they deserve. At least that's the way it was in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I just feel like if you're going to choose to get divorced, choose to be single because it's just, they're, Already you've done all the attention away from your kids. Because my kids have said, Mom, you weren't there emotionally when they were seen in high school. I was there, but I wasn't there because I was struggling with the divorce thing with their dad. Mm -hmm. So emotionally, you're just not there. You can't be for everybody. So why do another relationship and do the same thing? So, mm. And I'm telling you that from experience. Not I'm, I'm suggesting that you don't do that. Right. Um, another thing, I've had friends that have stayed in their marriage until their kids graduated from school. If there's not severe abuse going on, which by that time in our life there wasn't, I almost wish I would have done that because um, my son had, what, five more years of school left, my youngest. And my other daughter, my other kids were just more, they 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 were doing, they were really busy in activities. He was the youngest. He was three years younger than the other kids. And so he didn't have us together. And you know, something that's heartbreaking to me is when he moved to his dad, you know, I never tucked that kid in bed again. Mm. And, it's the hardest thing for me to deal with. And then my son, the other son that lived with him, we just, we didn't connect for years. So anyway, I suggest that you don't get married. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have friends that have great second marriages. So, you know, maybe I'm just a weird case. I don't know. No, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting to hear that perspective um, from, from someone who's lived it, you know, and you know, you made the right decision because you felt it was the right decision and God knows everything, right? Yes. So <laughs> thank, <heavens. laughs> um, thank goodness we can trust him with the, those really, really challenging, challenging situations in our life. We can pray and we can ask him for wisdom and guidance and, um, and I love that you said get help. So if you really are in a bad situation, I'm just going to tack on that there is a national domestic violence hotline that you can find help with. And the phone number there is 1-800-799-7233, or you can go to thehotline.org as a resource if, if you are being abused and they can help you get out of that situation. So if you need help getting out of a bad situation, thehotline.org, 1-800-799-7233. I think that's huge, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want anybody to know, so I was embarrassed about our situation. I, I had this idea in my mind the way my life was supposed to be, and I was so confused that it wasn't going that way, so I... I did ask for help from clergy, but I didn't go to any professionals. I, I did try to get him to go to counseling with us together, which he refused. But had I maybe reached out, maybe if somebody else would have told talked to Bob, maybe that would have made a difference, you know? Mm. I don't know. But I do recommend that 
there are resources to help people and we need to, your friends aren't your best resource, Yeah, I guess is my point. Mm, that's, that's actually really good. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful things. Now, um, one of the things that I'd love to have you talk on before we close is that concept of believing in your worth. You mentioned in the first half of the podcast about, doesn't he know I'm a princess? <laughs> you know, that, that whole concept that, you know, as, as, as children, there is that inherent belief that we have this royal divine lineage, which we all do as sons and daughters, heirs of God. And, and all of a sudden things like this happen and it completely shatters our self-worth. So why don't you talk to me about believing in that self-worth and coming to regain that self-worth again? How did you do that? Okay, well, the concept of being a princess, I remember I had an experience sitting on my front porch, my little house with my family in Orangeville, Utah. And I remember seeing this woman walking towards me and nobody else could see her. I just saw her. But um, she looked like a princess. And I remember thinking that... Ah, I'm a princess. And so what was interesting about that is I remember thinking one time I was in Salt Lake and with my parents and we were parked by, you know, those when Kennecott had those big, huge trucks they brought in, they, had, they were driving them down State Street, I guess, mm. to show them off. I don't know. Anyway, we happened to park next to one and I could barely see the bottom of the wheel. And I was so amazed. And I remember thinking, if I wasn't here, would that truck have came? <laughs> because as kids, we think we're the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. And so... I just always thought that. I mean, I always thought people were happy when I showed up. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and through school, I was something. I mean, I was I was able to do anything I wanted to do. Anything. If I ran for something, I won. It was rare that I didn't get those kind of things. And I had tons of friends. I had a great youth in, in school. And and my dad just thought I was the best. He really did. My brother and sisters teased me that he was, I was his favorite. Well, my little brother was my mom's favorite, if that matters. But anyway, so <laughs> I don't know that I was or not. But I was the only one with dark hair and dark eyes. So for some reason, I mean, but I always felt so special with my dad, always. And so, number one, when my dad said that to me, that was weird. I didn't expect that at all. But number two, I remember feeling like a shell, like an absolute shell. I didn't know what to do or who to act, who to be or how to act anymore because, you know, was I not pretty? Is that why he left and went with another girl? Was I, I'd always been pretty, I thought, you know what I mean? Was I not pretty? I mean, all those things go through in your mind. So after years, when I finally, um, and like I said, it, it, when I worked at my studio, I was in control. I felt like a total princess there, more like a queen because I was mm. in charge. But when I wasn't, uh, it was a really struggle for me. So and I dated a couple, uh, when I dated this one guy, that wasn't a good relationship either. So that didn't help my self-esteem. But um, one thing that kept me on track, one was teaching seminary because I studied a lot the scriptures. And so that helped me. The other thing was um, the fact that I was a, a successful studio owner, a studio owner and a dance teacher. I was very successful there and had tons of friends there. So that helped me. But realizing my total self-worth didn't come for quite a long time. And in fact, I can honestly think that it didn't really build back up to where it's supposed to be till I came back to Salt Lake. And it wasn't that I didn't feel secure in who I was. There was a couple of things I did down there. I started running. 
that was really helpful for me. I ran marathons for almost 10 years and running for some reason it just it was a some it was an accomplishment like you can't explain except for having a baby. There's no other comparison in my mind. So that was really good. I met lots of friends through there. So that made me feel all those things physical physically made me feel better about myself. But when I came back to Salt Lake, I remember um standing out front of the house, my mom was sick and I was standing out there thinking about my life and I thought we have chapters and we have things that we can change and things that we can do. And I had to pray about it a lot to recognize that I, me, myself, and I have worth. Yes, you have worth as a mother, you have worth as a wife, and you have worth as a dance teacher or a teacher in school or seminary or work, whatever church. But just Debbie has self-worth. And when I realized that, something changed to me that day too because I thought, I really am a princess I really, really, we all are, mm-hmm. but we get, you get beat up with things. And when, and I think the hardest thing is, and I haven't been through parental abuse, you mm-hmm. know, but to have somebody that you put your entitled trust in and depend, depend on them and they're your partner to have them betray you, you really can't figure out why. I mean, I, for years, I try to figure out Why? And so finding out who you are takes a lot of study and prayer. And it's funny because I always knew that, and then went through a period where I didn't know it anymore, and then I found it again. But it's it's a lot of searching, a lot of soul searching. There's not really one thing I can tell you that made that better for me. But I did recognize a couple of things, and that's that I've always had a lot of friends. I was a good mom most of the time. I wasn't a perfect mom by any means. I'm a good grandma. I'm still a good friend. And I like me. Mm. And I'm okay with me. Wow. That's beautiful and powerful. So probably just turning to God and him helping you rediscover Debbie. Mm-hmm. Just to find out who I was get Or I, I'll tell you a statement my brother made to me, my oldest brother, my older brother. When I came back after I divorced Bob, it was about six months later, and he said, it's so good to see Debbie back. And I was like, what? And he said, Debbie, you just kind of disappeared. You just weren't your same happy self. And I didn't even know that. I didn't recognize that. Mm. So I think we tend to mold ourselves to where we think we need to be when we're in a relationship or a situation, I don't know, where we it's kind of survival. And you don't think about it when you're in it. Mm-hmm. You really don't. But looking back, you can see all the things you did or all the things that I did to survive Mm. not like let me killed not like that but just emotionally survive right right wow powerful tell me is there a verse of scripture that has become meaningful to you through all these ups and downs of life yes and it's um, proverbs 3 5 and 6 and i tell you a quick story about that when my ex and i we were trying to you know work things out and he took me down to some antique places down in old town temecula in california and I saw this little frame. It looked like an open book, and it had a scripture on it. He saw me looking at it, and he said, you want me to buy that for you? And I said, yeah. And it's, um, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, only not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, I just went blank. Acknowledge. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Thank you. What was interesting is that verse is still in my bedroom. Still, it's been in front of me, and that's the one thing that helped me to get a divorce, Mm. which... 
Ironically, he bought it for me. <laughs> but nevertheless. <laughs> so he gave you something good. <laughs> a lot good. Beautiful lot kids, good. too. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. So let's quickly talk about those fun books that you have that you've written, your Mystic series. Okay. Tell me, tell me a little bit about these books and, and what inspired you to write them and just a, a, a little bit about the series. Okay. All right. So I, I wrote, um, I woke up in the 80s one night, in the middle of the night, I had a dream, just a little kind of a weird thing about this book. And I, I, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Remember those eight and a half by uh, 14 yellow type paper? Yes, yes. You probably don't remember as well as I do. But anyway, I wrote and I folded it in half and just stuck it in my files because I had a bunch of stuff I'd written. And um, I put it away. I never thought about it again. But in 2009, my mom got sick. I came to Salt Lake to help with her and I was at my sister's. And at night, I had a lot of time on my hands. And the one thing I brought with me from California was all my writing files. And um, I dug through them and that one kind of floated to the top. So I started to write it. It's taken a lot of transformation, but that is such a fun story because when I first started, the kids were only eight, nine years old, and a friend, um, or the characters, Aspen and, and Noah, and the a friend of mine in a writing group said, Debbie, if they're going to be alone that much, they're going to have to be older. Came home and rewrote the whole first four chapters <laughs> to put them older. Anyway, it's a story, um, and it's funny because as I'm reading them right now, I'm recording the audiobook right now, and I'm finding where a lot of this came from was my own life experiences. A lot of the spirit stuff, definitely, but also um, the different parts, like when the encounters with their dad and things like that, or things that I've experienced in my life one way, that whether my husband or my dad or whatever. And so the story is literally about um, the man, the father, Jackson Allen, left Tennessee when he was just out of high school, joined the Navy and moved to San Diego. He wanted to start a new life for himself. Never went back, never, you know, connected with his family again. His daughter, he has a kid 16 and 17, his daughter's 16, Aspen, when they he abruptly moves them back to Tennessee. And the reason he does is because he's got to sell the family mansion. Well, she has seen spirits since she was just a little girl. She's mm-hmm. seen, and people kind of tease her about it, whatever. But when she gets back there, all of these people that have been trying to contact relatives of the Allen family for years to let them know about this horrific thing that happened 50 years ago. She listens. Mm. She's the first person they can make contact with. So it's a really fun story. I had so much fun writing it. The characters are fun. I use my grandkids' names in them, but they're not my grandkids. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, these books have really been well-received. They're just fun to read. I'm enjoying reading myself again. I kind of laugh. I'm like, it's a pretty good story. <laughs> <laughs> they are. And I've read the entire trilogy and the, the first two books. I, I read the first two before the third one came out. And I seriously read them both within a week. And I was blown away. I just devoured them. They were so, so good. And they're clean. I like that they're clean for teens. They've got a little bit of mystery and adventure in there. And it's just super fun. And I remember texting Debbie. I'm like, so when's book three come out? <laughs> like, I can't wait. <laughs> that took me forever. I had the, I've had such, thank you for saying that, Tamara, too, because I've had such fun compliments. But I got a really cool review the other day. When I was just to back up a little bit, when I wrote them the first time, the first book, I got through and I thought, I don't like this. What is that I don't like about it? So, because then you, you're taught to write in first um, point of view. 
So first person, third person, whatever. And I didn't like it. I wrote it in third person. So I started to pull out books that I loved reading. And the series that I loved reading was Work in the Glory. Mm. So I went back and looked, well, how does he write? It was Besides the story, I liked his writing style. Well, you're in every head, every character's head in those books. And that's mm. completely against, apparently. But I did. I went back and rewrote the whole dang thing and put every character so that you you visit every person's head. And it made it more fun to write for me. And um, this lady, the other day, I got a message from her, and she said, you know what? She said, I have read your, she read them all in about two and a half weeks. And she said, I've not enjoyed a series as much since The Work in the Glory. <laughs> I was like, well, I can't hardly compare myself with that, but still. <laughs> it was a fun, it was a fun acknowledgement for me because of the way I decided to write. So, oh. That is so fun. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for your time, for diving into your story and for sharing what has helped you get through and courageously move forward with your life. You're an inspiration, not only to me, but to all your, your, your wonderful teenagers and adults that read your book because <laughs> they, they are so fun to read too. So thank you for sharing your story of hope and for continuing to inspire us with uh, a fun escape when we're <laughs> life's troubles are weighing us down. <laughs> Thank you. And I hope, I hope that's what they are. They're fun to read. So I hope people can enjoy them. Thank you, Tamara. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website it is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you. <laughs>